Did you know that hippos produce a reddish pink sweat, which also acts as a natural sunblock? We've got all sorts of fun and interesting facts and more coming up. We got lots of info. Let's rock and roll. It's Did You Know with Rhino. Hello and welcome to this episode of Did You Know with Rhino. In case you didn't know, I'm Rhino. This is my show and I know exactly what you're thinking. Do they produce extra, extra sweat if they're extra hungry, hungry? This is Did You Know with Ryan O, the podcast all about everything and nothing simultaneously. We're the podcast that goes over all sorts of fun things pertaining to pop culture. We even go over some history, facts, science, geography, geology, um, etymology, and some other things that make you say, gee, I wish I would have known those sooner. Now, normally, I'm not doing this alone. I'm hanging out with a special guest. We're going to talk about all sorts of craziness. But this episode, you're in for a special treat. And by special treat, I mean you get to hear my amazing, awesome facts, figures, and rambling awesomeness just because I'm here and I want to give you some quality action going on here. And we can hang out together, you and me. So let's do this. So not too long ago, I gave the people of Facebook and Twitter an awesome opportunity to participate in this episode, and I gave them an option to participate in this AMAAA, which is Ask Me Anything About Anything. So what's going to happen right now is I'm going to answer all sorts of fun and unique questions from you, the listeners. And let's start with this one. Um, Right here, we got uh, one from Cousin Nate. He says, who decided we all needed to write in cursive growing up? Um, So what I found out is that cursive writing actually helps the brain integrate visual and tactile information and fine motor dexterity. I found an article from the Memoria Press that talks about um, why developing an attractive, legible cursive handwriting style has a great aesthetic value, but also has numerous mental, physical, social, and practical benefits. Um, So it's got like 10 different reasons. Number one is uh, improved neural connections. It helps the the brain, the dynamic interplay of the left and right cerebral hemispheres, helps build neural pathways and increases mental effectiveness. Uh, Number two, it also improves the ability to read cursive. So if you don't know how to write cursive, knowing how to read cursive would be a little bit difficult. Um, Also increased writing speed, which is number three. The connectivity of a simple cursive style is faster to write than the stop and start strokes of printing. Uh, Number four, improved fine motor skills, cursive handwriting, naturally developed sensory skills. Um, And then through repetition, children begin to understand how much force needs to be applied to the pen and paper. The positioning of the pencil to the paper at the correct angle and the motor planning Uh, to form each letter in a fluid motion from left to right. So apparently this spatial and physical awareness allows them to write, but more importantly, builds the neural foundation of sensory skills needed for a whole bunch of everyday tasks, such as buttoning, fastening, tying shoes, picking up objects, copying words from the blackboard, and most importantly, reading. Number five, increased retention. Number six, ease of learning. Um, Printing is more difficult than cursive due to the frequent stop and start motion when forming letters. Uh, Let's see. Number seven, improve legibility and spelling ability. We'll we'll, we'll see about that one. Uh, Number eight, increase self-discipline because it's complex and uh, inherently associated with the development of fine motor skills. So it apparently prompts children to also develop self-discipline, which is a useful skill 
in all areas of life, apparently. Let's see, a higher quality signature, which helps people, you know, read what you're writing so that you can actually tell who's signing the checks. Have you ever been to a doctor's office and they fill out your prescription and you have no idea if they wrote it, someone else wrote it, a chicken wrote it? You would just have no idea. Um, I think that they need more practice with the uh, cursive writing. And apparently, number 10, increased self-respect. The ability to master the skill of writing clearly and fluidly improves a student's confidence to communicate freely with the written word. Handwriting is a vital life skill. And this is uh, by Iris Hatfield, the author of The New American Cursive. So that's uh, question number one. Let's see what we got coming up. The next question comes from the stitching lady, and she asks, what if Earth is another planet's hell? So breaking apart different concepts so I can potentially create some sort of hypothesis for this question. So let's say, hypothetically, you do have the good place, um, you know, some known as, as heaven. Um, you have the, the earth place, which would be like the middle place. And then you have the bad place, or in, as a question pertains to it, as hell. So if, if earth is someone else's bad place, then there has to be um, a, a neutral place that they come from. So if we're to compare our being um, in someone's lesser ground, there has to be a slightly higher one in comparison. So there must be some other planet then, or um, plane of existence, that has some sort of like greater utopian aspect of it. A little better morality sort of thing, if that's what the question's asking. Um, so there has to be like a little higher ground. And if that's the case, if that's the middle place, and Earth is their bad place, then they must also have a good place, which has an even even further up um, Zen, uh, utopian, um, you know, perfect elements to it. And so you could you could constantly be comparing it to do they have one even higher or do they have one based on how the question is is asked in this hypothetical or what if we were someone else's bad place? Which is kind of, uh, in a way, what the, the English did to Australia, right? They sent other people to a different country, creating, making that country, Australia, their bad place, in theory, um, based on the current example. Um, so I guess if I were to answer this morality dilemma of the, the question being asked, I'd have to ask another question as its rebuttal. Um, what if our bad place is another place's good place? So that's going to be a dark answer to that question. The Flautus asks, what do you want for your birthday? Since they know, yes, I know it's soon. Um, that's actually a really great question. Looking around the studio where I'm at, um, you know, a new guitar could be cool. If that's the case, also a guitar stand. For the new guitar, um, you know, electric bass, kind of going towards the instrument sort of category. Um, also, there's a whole bunch of seasons of TV shows I like to collect. I've got a giant library to my right, music to the left. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Um, so there are a couple things I'd like. Um, also, 
A gift certificate to Jet's Pizza is always a great option for me. Um, Baja Blast, if it's still around. I like the regular, not the zero sugar. I don't like things with zero sugar because that means that there are other things that they add, which are not necessarily as great for you. Uh, well, sugar isn't either, but I guess sugar is the lesser of the two evils in that instance. But I digress. Um, I could also go for anything with Aquaman on it. Um, but if you want to do something um, for my birthday, dear listener, you should buy a T-shirt from my site, you know, Zazzle.com slash store slash did you know with Ryan L. Little shameless plug there. That's your little birthday gift um, from you to you for me. Yeah. Another question that was asked was what is my favorite memory from high school? Wow. High school was a bit awkward to me. I know it's pretty awkward for everybody, but until you really find your, your niche and, you know, get time to self-explore and figure out, like, who you really are, it's a bit of an awkward time because you're trying to constantly blend in with the people around you, even though blending in with the people around you may not necessarily be the most excellent thing um, that could happen. I lucked into, you know, this is the nerdiness of me coming out, um, lucked into being surrounded by a pretty a pretty unique group of people, um, a lot of band folks. As some of you may know, I play a lot of instruments. Um, I wrote all of the music that you're hearing here on Did You Know With Ryan O. Music was my thing back in the day, um, but I was also an Elvis impersonator too. Yeah, that might be a shocker for some of you. I would travel across the country, mostly the state of Michigan, as a professional Elvis tribute artist, which is what I prefer it to be called. Some call it a impersonator. Um, but I'd go around and perform and do all sorts of things like that. But that was necessarily in high school. That was just around the time of high school because that was went from like seventh grade all the way through the well, my junior year of college, actually senior year of college. Oh, it was a good decade of Elvis. Um, anyways, so if we were to break it down based on like things that I've learned and stuff, um, like breaking it down to like my favorite book that I read in high school, it would have been Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead. One of my favorite projects I worked on, one, we created a mini golf course for uh, my geometry class. The other one, we worked on some sort of parody video because um, we learned what parodies works, that's a thing. Um, seems a little bit less grand, like awesome than I thought it would. But we did it off of uh, American Idol, um, so I was just fun making it because I gotta make videos and whatnot. Um, a lot of my memories usually circle around either competitions or um, or performances and whatnot, or just extremely random things like we. So, so, so my buddy J-Mac and I, we did an entire uh, like lightsaber battle from, from one end of the school to the other. And I only was able to record it like for a small bit using a camera because there were just too many people around and the scenery wasn't that great. So, so that was a fun bit of it. I think what I should actually do, um, and this is a great idea, so thank you for bringing that up, is uh, turn... Um, like a high school memoir, 
into its entire episode because um, it's it's really hard for me to just pick like one like favorite moment because I got a bunch of cool ones without alienating those other moments. Um, so those are just a couple that I could think of on top of my head. But if you out there want to hear me give some sort of like, you know, high school reunion memoir sort of thing, just talk about my, my, my thoughts from my high school experience and crazy, epic, random adventures I did, uh, let, let me know on any of the forms of social media and I might get on that in the near future. Of course, I might have to edit it as to, you know, make sure that the statute of limitations um, have expired on some of those events. Here's another question coming to you from Nightwing's dad. Um, why did R2-D2 not tell everything he knew since the beginning? For example, he knew who Darth Vader was, knew Yoda, not telling uh, 3PO anything, and that also... Uh, allowed Luke to make out with his sister. Well, did a little bit of research and found out um, to celebrate Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary, a new anthology book, From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back, was published, similar to the From a Certain Point of View that came out years ago for our New Hope. So there's a couple of those. It's a retelling of the movie's events from the perspective of various characters. Um, so apparently in one chapter, detailing Luke's landing on Dagobah, it's told from Yoda's point of view. In it, he notices Luke is traveling with a familiar friend. And here's the quote from the book. Um, Carefully moving through the swamp while staying beneath the fog, Yoda soon spotted the boy and his droid unpacking their supplies. Even though the droid was caked in algae, dirt, and stomach fluid, it, uh, its appearance and familiar bleeps were still quite recognizable. R2-D2. Of course the boy had Anakin's old droid with him. Such cycles of fate no longer surprised the 900-year-old Jedi. Now, we also know that R2-D2 did not have its memory wiped, um, because every time that there was a chance that for it to happen, Anakin, being super fond of the droids, um, wouldn't do it because, and he was saying, sometimes he would help out in battle plans because of knowing this or knowing that. So that's why they hadn't necessarily um, wiped some of his memory. And there's even an entire episode of the Clone Wars where R2-D2 gets captured and some of the information could have uh, possibly, you know, helped the other side. Um, and 3PO clearly had his memory wiped. Um so the more I think about this question, the more it also angers me. Um, and I, I guess the best answer I can give is that R2-D2 is a little selfish jerk. And he just didn't want to, he didn't want anybody else to find out that he knew all these things because then they'd have to wipe his mind out and um, he'd be an empty slate. So that's, that's my guess is self selfishness, and self-preservation. The next question coming up from Mrs. Three Names. Uh, who decided that some words just wouldn't have a rhyme? Like orange. Now, <sighs> there are many different ways to approach this question. Um, the, the easiest answer is just like the previous one I gave, is that just some people are, are jerks. 
Um, but I'm actually going to go and break down where the the English word orange comes from. Where do we get the word orange from and, and go from there? Because that's the easiest way for me to think about um, its uniqueness and how it doesn't kind of correctly rhyme with other things. So... The word orange is both a noun and an adjective in the English language. In both cases, it refers primarily to the orange fruit and the color orange, but has other many derivative meanings. Um, so it derived from a Dravidian language, and it passed through numerous other languages, including Sanskrit and Old French, before reaching the English language. The earliest uh, uses to the word in English refer to the fruit and the color was later named after the fruit. Um, but before the English-speaking world was exposed to the fruit, the color was referred to as yellow-red. So, so it wasn't necessarily its own particular thing, but a combination of the two. Um, it was a glorol-red in Old English, or red-yellow. Um, yeah. So going back to the references of other languages, um, of course, French, orange, um, some people thought that they took the word from the Italian melaroncio, which is like fruit of the orange tree with mela fruit as a pume orange with a pume fruit. So, so although pure orange or orange is attested earlier than um, melaroncio, it's available written sources. Um, apparently, lots of people believe that the Italian word is older than the French or English word, which came out in like the 1500s. So if we go even further back, um, it possibly comes from uh, from Tamil Naram or Telugu Naramja or um, Malayalam Nakranka, I think. It could be completely wrong. Or um, Sanskrit Nakranha, like it's on the orange tree. There's also Persian, um, Narang, and Arabic, Narang. The, uh, the initial N was lost through like a lot of rebracketing in English and French, though some varieties of Arabic also lost the N earlier. So, um, yeah. So without continuing on an episode where I just mispronounce the same word over and over again in different languages, uh, th the point I'm trying to come across is that they all kind of have the same word. And that's basically what other people were doing was their their version of it, because they all have the, the similar thing. So the base language, one of those, could also have a different word in their language, which which rhymes with, I know in Spanish it's naranja, um, but in other different aspects of Spanish, like some different places that speak Spanish, they could call it like, uh, like a china. Um, or like a little like a mandarin orange, like a china mandarina sort of thing. So so there are other possible options. But I'm gonna go with we liked the sound of it so much, we being the English speaking world, liked the sound of it so much that we kept it. But we didn't keep anything else that could possibly sound similar to it. So if you speak other languages, um, like similar ones that I had mentioned, and you know some words that might rhyme with um with it in that language let me know because that's what i'm thinking it's from sheer laziness 
According to another study um, of possible 5,000 one-syllable English words, um, they found 80 words with no rhymes. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, they're a bunch of half rhymes, but there are no, like, actual rhymes. Unless you go at proper nouns, like blorange or corange, you know, like mountains or surnames or... Um, you know, captains at different places. So, so yeah, it, it, it's annoying. But I'm just going to go over a couple of other words with no rhymes while we're at it. Because what can? Such as adsd, against, um, alb, amongst, uh, bilge, boinged. Let's see if I keep scrolling down. Scarce, pierced, oomph. Um, midst, gouged, and twelfth, as, you know, just a couple of examples. So there are some other words out there with a similar predicament, and I don't have an answer to it, and it makes me mad. The next question is coming from the hyperist of Finns, saying, Why can't someone just tell me how much I owe in taxes each year? Why do I have to be the one responsible for calculating that number when I could be wrong? Well, I think you being wrong is better than the government being wrong about that number. Yeah, that's a short answer for you. There's a lot more about it coming up. Because what if the government, you know, has you pay, um, you know, $2,000 more than you should actually pay? So, so then you're paying too much. Um, but if we're to go... Deeper into this, I've done some research. And by research, I mean I quickly searched on Google and, you know, found what other people have been talking about. Um, so there's a post on Cura about why I have to figure out my taxes. Um, let's see. Apparently, the government can do this for you um, with for all of your W-2 income, interest and dividend income, and could include mortgage deductions provided that the information was sent to the government by your lender. But... Um, there's a whole host of other deductions that may or may not apply, and the conditions for these are known best to the filer and not the government. They don't want to, you know, think that that John and Jane Doe are the exact same as John and Jane Smith. Because if you treat everybody the same, even though they're making different, it becomes a bit complicated. Um also, if you have charitable con contributions and itemize your deductions, you would need to document the donations. The information could be handed to the government, but is it necessary to do so? Um, also, if you have any non-standard income, such as freelancing, businesses you run, or rental properties you operate, then these are additional layer of complexity. It gets really, really complicated from there. If you have all three, then you're a very special case. Um, yeah. So um, the answer that I'm going to give you is quite simple. Um, everyone's different, and you want to make sure that you don't overpay. So that's the short end of that. If you want more information, then you should talk to a tax attorney or a CPA or you know someone who actually does that. And I'm saying this for legal reasons because I'm not a lawyer. And I'm going to answer a few more questions in just a moment, right after a quick word from our sponsor. Did you know with Rhino? 
What's up, y'all? This is Nate Hampton, also known as Cousin Nate. Got myself a new SoundCloud up and running. Would appreciate the likes, the listens, the follows, and all that good stuff. If you like up-tempo, fast-paced mixes, this is the place for you. Also going to have a lot more mixes coming up real soon. So give it a follow. It's www.soundcloud.com slash cousin underscore Nate. Thank you so much. Are you currently wearing a Team Ryan O shirt? Well, if you're not, you should be, and you can be. At our merchandise shop, Zazzle.com, that's Z-A-Z-Z-L-E.com slash store slash Did You Know with Ryan O. We've got all sorts of amazing shirts, even pertaining to some amazing inside jokes here, including Choices Were Made, Ryan O is My Hero, Adam's Cheesesteaks, the Rambunctious Johnson Sick Note Tour shirt, and much, much more. You can even find some koozies, some hats, and some other amazing stuff. Only at the Zazzle.com slash store slash did you know with Ryan O. Wear it, share it, love it. Did you know with Ryan O? Welcome back to the AMAAA. That's right. The Ask Me Anything About Anything, where I get to answer all sorts of questions that were asked on all sorts of social medias and present them to you, my dear listener. All right. The next question comes from the co-host of the former podcast that I was a special guest on for multiple episodes, known as Another Waste of a Podcast. Um, Let's see. He says... If the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were to have to fight each other, basically a battle royale, which one would win and why? Ooh, there's a couple of trains of thought on this. Um, there's actually a, a comic out there, um, like the Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, um, that kind of dwells into this about what if there's only one turtle left and about his fight in the future against the Foot Clan and whatever. But I'm going to talk more about if there was just a battle royale with the four, what would happen? Um, right away, let's see, you got um, Leonardo, who is extremely smart, um, he, but not as smart as Donatello. But he's a leader, he knows how to read people, and he's very skilled in pretty much everything. In fact, all of them are, are skilled in each other's fighting styles, um, but aren't as cr- proficient in them as their brothers. So it, you also got Raphael, who's very angry. He's just got pure aggression sometimes. Then there is Michelangelo, um, who is sometimes a bit more sentimental than the other ones. And there's also Donatello, who might overthink things. Um, so, you're, so what I think would happen in a fight is that um, Leo and Ra- and Raphael would would take out Michelangelo and Donatello, just based on strategizing. That'd be Leonardo and pure brute strength. Um, so they would take out the the other two, and then it'd be a fight against both of them, um, Leo versus Raph. And here's where my opinion would would differ from other people's opinion. Some people think that that Raphael would win um, just based on if he just gets mad and he, and he goes into a rage, like I would like to turtle rage sort of thing, um, that, that he could just, you know, best Leo in a one-on-one combat. But I think Leonardo would use that to his advantage. He would um, 
try to make um, Raphael angrier. And with the, the blind rage, he wouldn't think straight. And that's where Leonardo would get the, the upper hand in it and be able to take him out. So long story short, my vote's on Leo. However, I can't recommend the comic book enough. I've only read two issues so far, and it's fantastic. So if you're if you're out there in comic book land, make sure you, you grab it. You know, Ninja Turtles, Ronin. It, it's Ninja Turtles, the last Ronin, available on all sorts of the digital comics places and in most of the stores out there. So give that a go. The next question coming up from Gustangel. ¿Cuándo haces un episodio en español? So when are you going to do an episode in Spanish? Ooh, that's a tough one. It's kind of a chicken and egg sort of question because my Spanish, although it's rather decent, um, isn't as amazing as my English. You know, how many people can say that their secondary language is, you know, as good as their primary language? Um I learned a lot in high school, learned a bit in college, and I'm constantly learning a bit here and there from conversations with my coworkers. Um, can I do an episode entirely in Spanish? Yes. Would it require a whole bunch of editing? So um, there's a lot less breaks and it's a lot more smooth and whatnot. Yes. Um, so it's entirely, po- entirely possible to do. It's entirely possible. It's possible. Um but I also got to know that there is an audience for that. Who wants to hear my opinions in Spanish? So if that's the case, yeah, I'll try it. Otherwise, I think we'll wait. The next question coming from the missus, she asks, um, what's the highest score you can get in Yahtzee? Well, I uh, got a little bit of research here coming up. A maximal, maximum possible score uh, you can get in any Yahtzee game is 1,535 points. Requires a player to throw a Yahtzee, which is five of a kind, on every throw, with over half of them being all sixes. Apparently, in electronic Yahtzee, the score display is only capable of showing three figures, so the highest score there would be 999. But the microchip actually knows the real score. Also, even though the Yahtzee makers indicate four Yahtzees beyond the original, the Yahtzees would continue to add up internally. So if someone were to max out their score, the display would show um, 534 and four hash marks. But um, everyone would know that it's really 1,535. Highest score that they are aware of, um, the the people from Hasbro are aware of, because this comes directly from Hasbro, um, it's somewhere around 875 or 900. The people who have scores in that area will only play out a game, and only if it has a Yahtzee on their first turn. If they don't get a Yahtzee on their first turn, then they hit new game and start again. So so they're a kind of an all-or-nothing sort of type of people. So yeah, 1535, highest score in Yahtzee, based on Hasbro, the creators. My personal highest score is somewhere in the upper twos, probably low 300s, but that's just me. The next question comes from the Poolinator, and he asks, in a giant Megazord battle, Royale, which one wins and why? So this brings up an article from Screen Rant of the 15 
most powerful Zords and Megazords in Power Rangers. So Power Ranger fans, be prepared. Number 15, the T-Rex Zord from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's the only solo Zord that we saw fight on a regular basis. Um, that's, you know, it's it's the only one that was power enough to basically fight things by it itself. So there's that one. Uh, number 14, White Tiger Zord. It's another one that can fight by itself, but rather than merely standing in a cockpit and pressing buttons or whatever, um, the Tiger Zord is actually programmed to mimic Tommy's movements um, so that when he punches, the Zord punches as well. It's kind of clever and whatnot. Um, it's it's different from the the Dragon Zord. Number 13, Dragon Zord. Um, yikes. So Dragon Zord can also do things by itself, um, but it's also super devastating which is like devastating, but with a cape. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's basically Godzilla, but with a whole bunch of rockets coming out of its fingers and whatnot. Uh, number 12, Dino Megazord from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's super iconic and has defeated more than 50 of Rita Repulsa's evil monsters before being taken down by Lord Zed. Had a lasting impact on the series and had a super powerful finishing move with its power sword. Power sword. Um, some people say that the Dragonzord is more powerful since the Dragonzord did defeat it in combat, but the Megazord had defeated more monsters um, and then was reconfigured into the more powerful Thunderzord. Moving on to the Wild Force Megazord coming from Mighty Morphin, sorry, Power Rangers Wild Force. Um, it's a primal aspect with a whole bunch of bestial entities, and it pretty much has a uh, a thing like a tool for every job. Um, so every Zord that can attach or detach can increase its strength. Um, Shogun Megazord, number 10, from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Series 3. Um, it was the strongest one up to that point, but it got knocked out after only 16 battles. And then the one after that, let's see, Ninja Megazord. It, you know, Ninja's kind of awesome. The powers get stronger and stronger every time. So you've got that on that song. And then you're moving on to Super Zeo Megazord, number eight. I'm just going to keep on going down this list. Um, it moved up to Super Zeo Ultra Zord for number seven. Um, Omega Megazord from Lightspeed Rescue, uh, which was their most powerful one. The Omega Zord is capable of transforming itself into a rapid response vehicle, which is apparently fitting considering that Lightspeed Rescue's emergency response theme. Um, Time Force Travel Zord. Apparently it's a cheat. Um, so it's a Zord that can, you know, knock people into time travel. So that's why it's number five. Number four, the Isis Megazord, which was the Wild Force Megazord's, like, Older, stronger, um, more upgraded brother. So that's why that's there. Delta Base Megazord would be number three. Number two, Quantasaurus Rex um, or, or Q-Rex from Time Force. It's more, a more advanced version of Tommy's Dragon Zord. So you got future material, um, unst unstable and difficult to control. So it's capable of defeating a whole bunch of things before you gain control of it. And number one, we got Serpentera, which was discovered from a moon somewhere, and Lord Zed used it to basically destroy things. It's a dragon-shaped Death Star, um, but it has one fatal flaw. 
which it consumes a lot of energy and always loses power before Zed is able to win. Um, so that's a quick answer on which Power Ranger Megazord uh, would would win. Which one's my favorite? Well, that's an entirely different podcast, and I look forward to answering that one in the future. And speaking of the future, I guess we'll have to um, call this one a day. I've answered a whole bunch of questions, but next time with Did You Know with Ryan O, we'll be able to talk about a whole bunch of more random weird facts and stuff. Um, I'll bring a whole bunch of science and history and a crazy story about, you know, maybe wizards. Or I might find a crazy story uh, about um, color-changing dogs. You never know what's going to happen on the next episode of Did You Know with Ryan O. But it'll be happening in uh, two weeks. Uh, Until then, there is the question of the episode. And this episode, I'm going to ask you, what's the weirdest question that you've been asked this year? Uh, If you'd like to answer that, you can do so by checking us out on Twitter at Did You Know Ryan O. Facebook, Did You Know with Ryan O. Or just shoot me an email, didyouknowryanho at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us on this amazing episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know that I most certainly did. We always leave here by asking folks, um, that, well, telling folks that we hope that they find their awesome, hold on to it, and share it with the world. I've been Ryan O, and I'll see you next time. Did you know it?